Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No the league's supposed to start in a month, and a lot of players are testing positive. It's not looking good. It's not looking good. Uh, in fact, it's looking specifically bad, is, <laughs> is what I would say. <laughs> What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined now and as always going forward by our new co-host, the playing tennis as children to now co-hosting a <laughs> podcast together. It's Adam Mamawala. Adam, how's it going? Oh my God, I'm going to remember this moment for the rest of my life, Mike Schubert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, I am so happy to have you as the new co-host of Horse, the new member of the team. In case people listening at home haven't gotten the chance to get to know who you are, why don't you give people a little bit of a rundown in terms of your basketball fandom, how sad you are that the Bulls are almost as bad as my Knicks, etc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the difference for me, Mike, is that I got to watch them during the 90s and they won a bunch and you have had no joy in your whole life. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you are incredibly correct. I'm just trying to take over for Eric in terms of actively <laughs> hating the Knicks on the podcast. Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in the Chicago area. I was actually born in Aurora, Illinois, the setting of Wayne's World, for those of you who are oh. of the slightly older crowd. It's always very demoralizing <laughs> when I say that to somebody who's like 20 and they're like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> it makes me deeply sad that people don't know Wayne's World anymore. I'm a little bit older than, than you, so I grew up like real 90s kid and I was in Chicago during during the 90s era Bulls. So it really wasn't even an option to not be a basketball fan. Um, I became fully obsessed with it. The first three championships, I don't really remember that well because I was little, but I really got into it in the time that Jordan had retired. And then when he came back, I was all in. And it was the best thing ever. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the last dance made me happy and sad and nostalgic and all of the things that uh, that I would have wanted it to be. And then we moved to New Jersey when I was 10, but I stuck out my Chicago sports team's allegiances. And uh, I've just been holding on to my joy from the 90s and briefly from the uh, Derrick Rose era Bulls. But it's largely been pretty bleak since <laughs> <laughs> since the 90s as a uh, as a Chicago Bulls fan. Yeah, it's one of those things where you your high of the 90s can probably just help you coast for the rest of your life and it's okay. Whereas yes. I am just hoping that at one point before I die, we win a championship. There were shirts that, that they sold for the Cubs that said, please just one before I die. Like people would wear those shirts. <laughs> And I always thought of it as a, you know, as a big Cubs fan, as like the Bulls were God's way of making up for the Cubs. <laughs> I'm glad that you were just old enough to fully comprehend Michael Jordan and his dominance and his poor acting skills in Space Jam. Oh, man, he's so bad in Space Jam. It, I love the man, but God, it hurts my feelings watching that again. There's a scene, that my favorite scene, that just shows how poor of an actor he is. <laughs> he, he comes home early in the, in the movie and he talks to, I think it's like their cook or whoever works there. And he's like, I've had a rough day. What's for dinner? And she's like, chicken and collard greens. And he's like, good. I'm going to need a good meal tonight. 
It's like, oh, Mike, <laughs> that was the best take, too. Uh, yes, of all 500 that they did of the one scene. So before we talk about current basketball taking place now and not the glory days of yesteryear, we have to center ourselves in a little area that we like to call the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Teal's doing fine. Everything's great, all things considered. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Teal. Adam, you know who else just wants their favorite team to win a championship before they die? Who? It's our new patrons. Ho-ho! <laughs> so huge shout out to Brendan Byam, Sloan, and the lovely Loveless, our new patrons. They join our team and our existing team of producer-level patrons, Brianne Wingate, Adam Hartwick, Cody Powell, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Samantha Rose, Polly Burge, I worked with Eric Stad, Shooby Dooby Doo, I am Adam Silver, Godzilla Got Busy, Wouter Vandermaiden, Madeline Heising, Steph Curdy for three, Siobhan Ellsbury, Kendra Hadley, He Sells, Seashells, Eileen Gazesh, Catherine Lee, Ogmilk, who told us that Ogmilk is how he wants his name to be said, so we're all good, LeBron James, and Matt Barker. Wow. Mike, may I just pull the curtain back on this podcast for a moment? Yes. I want everyone listening to know that that was Mike's first take of that read. I, yeah, I got to say, no editing here. I did it all in one go. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's a pro right there. You know, I am a professional talker, so I should be good at talking. <laughs> My goodness, Mike, what a team we have assembled. I have every confidence in the world that they will someday hold the place in my heart that the 90s Bulls do. Mm, wow, yes. And for me, they've already surpassed that in that I hate the 90s Bulls and I don't <laughs> hate these people. <laughs> uh, you know who else I don't hate, Adam? Who don't you hate? Our sponsor for this episode, Shaker and Spoon. Hey! Shaker and Spoon is a delivery service that will send you a box of all of the mix-ins and instructions of how to make four servings of three different drinks all using the same liquor. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty fantastic. I've used Shaker and Spoon in the past. I used a recipe from a previous Shaker and Spoon box to make margaritas for Barb and Joel the other day, my parents that I'm staying with for the next couple of weeks, and they were very impressed with me, their fancy boy of a son who's now all grown up. <laughs> At least he's trying to make it seem like he is. <laughs> <laughs> is that on your business card somewhere? Mike Schubert, fancy boy of a son? <laughs> I probably should do that. I should make a new business card that I can give out to no one since conferences and meeting people in real life doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> oh, remember real life? Gosh, what a time. But Jager and Spoon will send you these ingredients. They make it super simple. All you need to do is pick up the booze. They take care of everything else. And if you are a horse listener, you can save some money as you get these fancy ingredients. If you go to shakerandspoon.com slash horse, you'll get $20 off your first box. The boxes are between $40 and $50. So that's like half off. And my math tells me that's a pretty good deal. So all you got to do is go to Shaker and spoon.com slash horse today. That sounds like a hell of a deal. And also, I don't know how long Shaker and Spoon has been around, but has there ever been a better time for that as a business model than this exact moment? They've been around for a bit, but honestly, you are right. W what better time to have stuff sent to you when you are legally obligated to <laughs> not go to bars? Exactly. So Adam, with all of that wrapped up, we can get into our first segment. And this is a very important time in my life because I have a new person to run this joke by. And you are a professional stand-up comedian, so you are well-versed in jokes. I am hoping that you will get this one, so let me just center myself here. Sure. Before you center yourself, let me just add the asterisk <laughs> that stand-up comedy does not exist as a job anymore. <laughs> I'm in comedy limbo, stuck in somebody's Zoom right now. <sighs> Adam, our first segment is called Full Court Press. Get it? Like the news? Oh, press. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is amazing. <laughs> I am on cloud 12. <laughs> That's like three more than nine. 
<laughs> you're really on fire today. So we have two pieces of basketball news to discuss today, one of which is bad and one of which is good. Do you want the bad or the good first? I always go bad. Let's go bad. Okay, so bad. The basketball is the basketball. The basketball <laughs> is trying to come back. They're trying to do the bubble in Florida. Florida is very bad at coronavirus, and apparently so are NBA players because a lot of people have it. The league's supposed to start in a month, and a lot of players are testing positive. It's not looking good. It's not looking good. Uh, in fact, it's looking specifically bad, is, <laughs> is what I would say. <laughs> oh, man. I You know, it's I want it to happen, but I sports in general seems like such a risk right now. It's just highly unnecessary. Like, we're recording this on July 2nd. It feels the same way about people trying to have 4th of July parties. I get that you want to see family and friends and stuff, but it's just not smart, and you should just probably wait. You probably should, and uh, I I hate to even bring this up to give any more airtime to something this ridiculous, but have you heard about the COVID-19 parties in Alabama, Mike? This is an Onion article I can only pray for, but... You know, you'd wish that it were, (laughs) but remember how in March people were having corona parties, but at least then it was like, we're just being stupid and we're bored, so we're Mm -hmm. having parties. This is a thing where college students from Alabama were having COVID-19 parties where they were betting on who could get COVID-19 the fastest and whoever did won the money. I I could only assume so that they could pay for their hospital bill coming up. Oh Uh, my. I mean, the fact that it's Alabama does not surprise me because when Kelly and I were coming down to Texas, we stayed in Mobile, Alabama. It was very fun when we were picking based on driving distance and stuff where to stay because our second day of driving put us in the hotspot where we were choosing between Louisiana, Alabama, and Florida. The three worst states at this before (laughs) Texas overtook some of the places there. But it was just, oh, which horrible city do we choose from? They're all the worst. So the best of the worst was Mobile, Alabama. And it was still terrible. No one was wearing a mask. And Kelly and I got laughed at and judged for wearing a mask. Most notably, I got laughed at by a man wearing flip-flops and cargo shorts. That was an interesting point in my life. I'm going to assume (laughs) a pair of Oakleys were in one of those cargo short pockets. You know, I could only imagine because those cargo shorts pockets were so big. (laughs) Who's to say? (laughs) It's like the never-ending pocket. (laughs) There could be anything in there. There could be a whole other town in there. There could be another pair of cargo shorts in there. Just in case what beer gets wet. So if we have any listeners in Alabama, we still love you, but please, for the love of God, do not go to a COVID-19 party. Don't do it. Please don't. Please, please, please don't. But yeah, the NBA, it's just they're having more and more players get tested and more and more players are coming back testing positive. And you're even seeing things like the Denver Nuggets and the Brooklyn Nets where they have so many players on their team testing positive that they are shutting down their practice facilities so that no one can practice together and then maybe get it from some of the surfaces. It just feels like if you're taking the step to literally close a building down so people aren't allowed to play basketball, you probably shouldn't play basketball against other people in Florida. Yeah, I I would agree. And the other thing about it that people don't seem to be talking about a lot is basketball is an indoor sport. And there is the science to confirm that the majority of transmission, I believe it's 80% of transmission happens in closed indoor spaces. So I'm not saying that baseball is going to go off without a hitch, but at least they're playing outside. For NBA games, you have close physical contact inside a closed physical space. Mm -hmm. 
staying six feet away is never a strategy. No. Basketball seems like the sport that needs to have the healthiest and safest situation surrounding it because you can see soccer and baseball working because, as you mentioned, they're outside, people are further apart. But basketball is all about getting up in people's faces. And it just seems like there are too many people that have it and it's too soon and it's spreading and they're doing it in a state where it's spreading very rapidly. And I'm just worried about all of the non-athletes, basically. I'm worried about the coaches. I'm worried about the staff. I'm worried about the people who have to work at Disney, the hotels, the chefs, whoever is not just playing basketball and has access to millions of dollars in wonderful health care, just the normal people that are involved in the bubble. I'm scared for these people. When we talk about this, a lot of times people only think about the players, but there's so much involved in making the NBA work, even with a skeleton crew, that it does just seem kind of like an unnecessary risk. The counterpoint would be when they introduce the hand check, which for those of you who are not familiar, is a very ticky-tack foul called. If you basically have your hand grazing somebody's hip, you get <laughs> called for a foul. Maybe they can institute a new rule where you get called for a foul if you're within six feet of somebody. <laughs> they should just have all the teams play horse against each other. You know, I kind of like that. As much as I hated horse being a part of the all-star festivities, I think in the interest of public safety, it's probably the move right now for the NBA. We could find ways just to get all of the all-star game stuff turned into head-to-head competitions where they play horse against each other, they do three-point shooting contests against each other, there's a dunk contest against each other. There's ways where we can just turn this into how we determine who's the champion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the other thing you have to consider is that beyond the health risks, A lot of NBA players have made the point that this is not the time socially for people to be distracted. Right. And there have been some reports of the NBA trying to cater to the players who are concerned about not spreading social awareness during this time, letting players change the name on the back of their jersey to say some sort of message. And they've talked about putting Black Lives Matter on the court, on the sidelines or under the basket somewhere. So the NBA is at least aware of that element, which is nice. But yeah, that coupled with the health risks just feel like coming back at the end of July seems too soon. It's a month away. That's way too soon. It's very soon. Yeah. But I I will say that I'm confident only in the fact that the NBA always handles things the best. In my mind, the NBA is far and away the best run league in all of sports, and it's not even particularly close. And looking back to what happened in March, I think Adam Silver being as decisive as he was shutting everything down when he did may have saved thousands of lives. I don't think I'm overstating that. No. My hope is that if it appears to be unsafe at any point, Adam Silver and the other powers that be will have the foresight to shut it down and not put everybody at risk. Yeah. What I will say with the NBA is that they do seem to handle things very well. Money is the only time that things don't get handled well, like the Hong Kong thing earlier this year. So, I mean, the only reason that this league is coming back is for money. People say, oh, sports bring people together. No, it's all about money. So hopefully the desire for money does not outweigh the responsibility that they're supposed to have. And I agree with you that I think that when they shut the league down, it was a very good move. It was earlier than a lot of other leagues were ready to make that decision. And I remember at least for you and I personally, and I know for a good chunk of people in my life that the NBA shutting down really set the tone for coronavirus being taken seriously. A lot of people, my dad was one of them, started looking more into COVID once the NBA shut down. Like, oh my gosh, this thing shut down a sports league. So I would hope that they can do the same that they did in March and be responsible. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that is the moment. I think if you were to to poll people on what is the moment that you realize that this was really serious, it would be that exact 
decision. Mm -hmm. So let's end this full court press segment on a happier note. And this is one that just happened yesterday at the time of recording on July 1st. Maya Moore, who is arguably the best player in the WNBA, stopped playing in 2019 for the purpose of trying to overturn a incorrect burglary and assault with a weapon charge of a man in Missouri named Jonathan Irons. And yesterday, his conviction got overturned. He had a 50-year jail sentence. Maya Moore stopped playing so that she could be an activist and fight this particular case. And she helped it get overturned. And that is absolutely phenomenal. Unbelievable. It's really nice to be able to read a story like that right now in the midst of such an awful time. I mean, to me, Maya Moore is probably a top five player of all time, right? Oh, easily. No question. To put it into NBA perspective, this would be not necessarily a LeBron leaving, but it would be like if Steph Curry just pieced. Someone that was very good at basketball, won WNBA titles, had been competing, MVP caliber person just leaves so that they can try to use their platform for good. And very much the pioneer of this, because it's not like she did this a couple months ago. She did this in 2019. Yeah, she did it in 2019 and said that she was going to sit out this season, or at least as long of this season as she needed to, to see this through to the end. And it's an unbelievable sacrifice. And I would never disparage any player for donating large sums of money and then kind of sitting back and letting that money do what it does. But to actively get involved the way she did and make this happen is pretty incredible. It's really fantastic. I'm so happy, and hopefully we can hear more good stories like this going forward. Yeah, and I watched the film Just Mercy a couple weeks ago. Have you heard of that film? No, I haven't. So Just Mercy is a film. It's based on a true story. Uh, it stars Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. It came out earlier this year, I think, or, or towards the end of last year, but they made it free, at least in the month of June. It might still be free now, but even if it's not, you should rent it. And it is about this exact sort of situation where a man was wrongfully convicted in this case of murder, and Michael B. Jordan plays a lawyer who fights for him. And it's one of those times where you're just so frustrated watching something because there's clearly injustice being done that is so egregious and no one seems to care about it. But the greater point here being that this happens way too often that people are rotting away in jail or even sentenced to death sometimes for a crime they haven't committed. And unless they have somebody like that lawyer or like Maya Moore or someone in a position of power advocating for them, they kind of go by the wayside a lot. And it's really cool to see somebody in Maya Moore's position realize the power that she has and take that stand because it makes a difference. And it clearly made a difference in this case. And our justice system is really messed up. And for someone like that to step up is, uh, it's really inspiring. It is incredible. It is inspiring. I'm so glad that her decision paid off and it worked. And from a basketball perspective, I hope that she could come back to the WNBA and start hooping on some people. But if she wants to stay out of the league to continue to try to make some good happen in the world, all power to her. I think it's great that she did it. I love that players of this age are stepping up and trying to do things to help the community from LeBron opening a school to his new media company to players just trying to use their platform for good. I think it's fantastic. And I will just say as a note, I was searching Maya Moore on Wikipedia just to try to pull up some of her accolades to put into perspective how good she is. And all I will say is that for her career highlights and awards section on Wikipedia, it is so long that you have to scroll to see all 
of it on a web browser. So that's how good at basketball she is. There are over 25 bullet points of things that she has done. <laughs> she is one of the best of all time. Mm -hmm. And one of the best people of all time. So I'm very happy to end this full court press segment on a happy note. Shout out to Maya Moore. And we will put links on the episode page at horsehoops.com if you want to read more about her decision, her story, and how she helped overturn this case for Mr. Irons. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. So, Adam, I've prepared a very silly and ridiculous three on three for us today because the world around us is not very silly at the moment, and I would like to bring some levity to the situation. Please do. So the three on three that I've prepared today all centers around players losing their shoes during games and then having the shoes thrown. <laughs> So it's the three best moments where an opponent's shoe was thrown and the three best moments where someone's own shoe or their teammate's shoe was thrown. It's a great, it's a great topic. I, cause I can, as soon as you say it, I can immediately picture that moment where someone is like playing defense, holding one of their shoes. And it's uh -huh. so funny. Has this ever happened to you while playing basketball? I don't think so. And that always makes me wonder, like, how loosely are these people tying their shoes? I've never had that happen. Yeah, I've never had it happen either. The only time we've ever discussed it on horse was Kevin Durant wears his shoes very loose on purpose and wears a shoe one size big because that's how he likes it to feel. So he is notoriously known for having a shoe fall off. But there's just some ridiculous moments. It seems a lot of just, you know, someone steps on your shoe and then it falls off. But these stories I've compiled are truly bonkers. And I want to start with the uh, shoes of opponents being thrown by other players. Love it. So if you had to guess who the first person that I could at least find recorded video evidence of throwing an opponent's shoe was... What player would come to mind? I will say that it is from like the late 2000s, early 2010s. Lance Stevenson? Okay, that's very close. You are right on the or money. Or Meta World Peace? Meta World Peace is the first player. <laughs> oh my God. So the, the artist formerly known as Ron Artest was the earliest documented case of a shoe throw that I could find. He is patient zero for shoe throwing. <laughs> this was when he was on the Los Angeles Lakers and they were playing in a game against the Houston Rockets. Trevor Ariza on the Rockets lost his shoe while going for a rebound. And Ron Artest just takes the shoe and flings it behind <laughs> the stanchion, which holds the basketball rim up and in place. He did it incredibly nonchalantly, which I think is nice, just because for the first one, it's this innovation of, hey, maybe people won't notice that I just did this thing that you're definitely right. not allowed to do. <laughs> yeah, because it's like if you do it under the auspices of like, oh, I'm just getting this thing that's in the way out of the way then there's a way that you can try to justify it. But if, like Ron Artest probably did at some point, you insert it into a t-shirt cannon and fire it into the <laughs> upper deck, it seems a little more obvious that you're just trying to get rid of a shoe. <laughs> now, what makes this particularly great is that not only was this the first instance, but it truly gave the Lakers a competitive advantage because he tosses the shoe, runs down court, they pass the ball to Ron Artest, who nails a three-pointer right away. So just riding the high of throwing away someone's shoe, he just knocks down a three. I'm very amused that this is where you're starting because <laughs> without giving anything away, there's a very brief part of my story that involves uh, <gasps> a reference to Ron Artest pantsing Paul Pierce during a game. <laughs> 
This always finds a way to happen with horrors. The basketball gods look down upon us with favor, and they usually find a way in the most strangest means possible to make the two stories intertwined. So I'm glad Meta World Peace can be our connecting factor. Afterwards, they called time out. Trevor Reza put his shoe back on, but I just love that the opening of Pandora's shoe box nice. was from... Metal World Peace. Thank you. I'm really proud of that one. It was from Metal World Peace, and it led to a three-pointer being made, and Ron did not get in trouble for doing this. No foul was called. I mean, is there a rule? There's not a rule against it, is there? It's not like it's in the rule book. So you will see as I go through these stories that there is no hard and fast rule. Usually the the general rule that it seems to follow by the referees is, hey, don't be a dick. Right. <laughs> and also don't get caught. Usually players can get away with it if they throw it towards the side of the court where people usually check in, like the scorer's table. If you're checking in for a substitution, that's usually okay. But there are instances where people just freaking chuck it into the stands. Uh, and usually they get in trouble when that happens. I love things in basketball that fall into this gray area where it's like, it's not illegal, but it just is annoying. Like <laughs> blowing air in somebody's face like Lance Stevenson would do. Or like, I think there's even a clip in The Last Dance where Jordan is like tickling somebody's hand when they keep reaching their hand out. Like something oh, like that yeah, is yeah. so funny. So the next one, again, throwing an opponent's shoe leads to a three-pointer being made. This is done by the Golden State Warriors, the pre-Dynasty Warriors, and it involves Jarrett Jack absolutely launching <laughs> Darrell Wright's shoe into the stands. So I've sent you the video link for this. Just watch the ferocity of which Jarrett Jack the launches the shoe. The ferocity and the velocity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just chucks this thing behind <laughs> the back. All right, part. let's see. I've got it up. Breakaway. Oh, First of all, terribly uh, constructed play. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't even see it. You know what? But that- It's sneaky. I, it's very sneaky. I would just estimate that he launched that at least 10 rows into the stands. Yeah. <laughs> and he did it in a way that I watched the clip five times just now and I didn't even see it. He, it's so strange. It is the perfect mix of a nonchalant throw, but it also is thrown so far. <laughs> So we'll obviously we put a link to this video on the episode page of horsehoops.com, but it's impressive. Yeah, I would love to see like a full wide angle of Jarrett Jack just <laughs> launching that shoe a full 15 rows into the stand. <laughs> so he just absolutely chucks it. The Sixers go on to score a layup here, but then the Warriors inbound the ball and Jarrett Jack, who threw the shoe, nails a three. The Sixers call a timeout so Darrell Wright can get his shoe back from halfway up the stadium and then they zoom in on Jar Jack who is giggling the entire time and the giggling is just super solid. Oh my god. This entire segment is it's reminding me of that scene from Austin Powers where he gets hit in the head with a shoe. Mm -hmm. He's just so incensed like who throws a shoe honestly <laughs> that really hurt. It's so silly and what's great is that it did lead to a three-pointer for the Warriors, but Jared Jack was defending Evan Turner, who scored the layup, so he was so preoccupied with tossing the shoe away from the play that his man was left wide open for an easy bucket. Is there any chance that we can do a, uh, a quick edit of Jack tossing that shoe into the stands and then splice it with George W. Bush <laughs> jumping out of the way of a shoe? If this was a video <laughs> podcast, a thousand percent. <laughs> so the final instance of an opponent's shoe is a bit of a stretch of the definition, but I had to make it work. This is when Tyson Chandler blocked a teammate trying to throw a shoe to a fellow teammate. Shoe defense. <laughs> Pretty much. So Maurice Spates, Mo Buckets on the Warriors, lost his shoe. 
and Steph Curry kind of tosses it aside because it's just in the middle of the court. But Steph is his teammate, so he doesn't launch it Jared Jack style. On the next offensive possession, Steph finds the shoe and he tries to toss it back to Mo Buckets. Now, Tyson Chandler is playing defense on Mr. Buckets, and (laughs) he is standing far enough away where he is not in line of the shoe, but he sees the shoe being tossed. He takes an extra step towards Mo Buckets and swats it out of the way and then continues to run back on defense. (laughs) And he successfully does swat it away. Oh, yes. Here, I'll send you the clip as well. First, I had to sit through a diapers ad, which makes me really wonder <laughs> what sort of algorithm I have going on here. Oh, boy. Okay, so Curry throws it away. <laughs> it's honestly really good defense. It's pretty solid. Tyson Chandler himself did not get called for any sort of infraction here, but the Mavericks fouled almost immediately after. But I just love the dedication that he went out of his way to do it because he did not have to hit it. It was not coming towards him. He takes a couple steps, swats it, and then immediately continues going back on defense. It's frankly pretty impressive. I feel like it's like the living version of a meme where it's like, (laughs) if you're first team all defensive, you don't, you can't turn it off, even (laughs) if it's a shoe. Tyson Chandler is known for dunking basketballs and blocking shots, and he's going to keep that defense going up, even if it's not basketballs, if it's shoes. It's also one of those things where it feels like in the moment, he wasn't even fully aware of what he was doing in the sense that like, there are times even in sports where someone does something and you're like, did your brain just stop working for a couple of seconds? <laughs> like one of those lack of impulse control moments. Oh, yeah. We all have those. You're like walking down the street and you're like, what if I just like tripped this person? But you don't do it. <laughs> but sometimes you just do. Uh, so those are all the times an opponent's shoe is in the mix. Now let's get to when it's their own shoe. So for the first one of these, we turn to Marc Gasol. And this is Grizzlies era Marc Gasol. Now Marc Gasol makes a floater. He loses his shoe while he's running back on defense. His teammate Ed Davis tosses the shoe to him. But then Marc Gasol just has his shoe in his hand and he's holding it on defense. He's trying to get the ref's attention to let him put his shoe back on, but they don't pause the game because that's not how basketball works. So while Marc Gasol is guarding Derek Favors, He tries to steal the ball from Derek Favors' hands using his shoe. So he he swats at the basketball while holding a shoe and is called only for a regular foul. No technical foul, just standard foul. And then right after, Marc Gasol tries to argue with the ref that he shouldn't have been called for a foul and you should have let me put my shoe on. But I don't know, it feels like attacking someone with the shoe, even if he got all ball. Feels like <laughs> it feels like the correct call. It feels lightly dangerous. I would love to see someone like block a dunk at the rim with a shoe. <laughs> that would have to be some form of goaltending. There's no way. Oh, <laughs> Props can't be, be involved. <laughs> But again, this just makes me wonder what the ref had to call when he went over to the scorer's table. It's like, oh, foul, Gasol, attacking an innocent man just trying to play basketball (laughs) using a shoe. Oh, my God. Now, speaking of innovation, this next one that we have is something that I have never seen before and is unlike any other shoe-throwing incident that has taken place. This was during a preseason game, which makes it even more perfect. And this involves Blake Griffin while he was on the Clippers throwing a shoe into the face of an opponent. Oh, boy. On purpose. Yeah, Blake would like to say that it wasn't on purpose, but uh, video evidence shows completely intentional. (laughs) So Jamal Crawford, noted for his crossover prowess, does a crossover move and loses his own shoe 
in the process, which is pretty funny. He literally crossed himself out of his own shoe. He really did. And Blake Griffin is coming up around after screening for Jamal's man, grabs the shoe, and then throws it into the face of Corey Joseph, who is defending one of Blake's teammates. Now I'll send you the clip of this so that you can see. Okay, okay. So it's not, (laughs) to be fair, Griffin is holding the shoe and then is past the ball. So he has to get rid of the shoe. He does have to get rid of it. He kind of hot potatoes it into a man's face. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite aspect of this whole thing, though, is after it hits Corey Joseph in the face, everybody stops for a couple seconds like, he wasn't allowed to do that, right? Corey Joseph flops a little bit, which is fun. Chris Paul, who Corey Joseph is guarding, kind of stops running, even though Blake hitting Corey in the face is the best screen possible. (laughs) Chris Paul could have been wide the hell open. The man guarding Blake Griffin takes a couple steps off of him. Jamal Crawford stands still. Even Blake Griffin doesn't know what to do and then pump fakes, even though he's at the logo at half court. Like, everyone is bewildered for a little bit. And then Blake Griffin starts to drive in and then they foul him so that the shoe situation can be resolved. But I just love that everyone for a good beat just stops and thinks there's no way that was legal, right? I also have to say, I I just watched it again. I think you're being a little generous to Corey Joseph. That is an enormous flop. (laughs) The shoe hits his chin (laughs) and his head flies back not dissimilar from the Zabruder film. It is very dramatic. (laughs) And then he does spin into a little bit of a 180, trying to find a referee to appeal to. Like, hello, Mr. Referee. Did you just see Blake Griffin throw someone else's shoe inside of my face? What's one of my favorite things in basketball is the dramatic look for a referee. Like when somebody (laughs) thinks there should have been a foul called, and then they do that full 360 where they're looking around the court as if they don't know what a referee wears. (laughs) Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Everyone's dressed so similarly. (laughs) So the final instance of a self-shoe throw situation is one that led to something truly astounding. And this took place in the NBA Finals when it was between the Heat and the Spurs. And this was the moment that Mike Miller lost his own shoe. Oh, yes. was tossed to the side, and then he made a three-pointer, which saved the game. I remember this. I remember this well. So Miller loses his shoe while on defense. And then this clip cuts it, but I believe there were a couple plays back and forth in between. But as they go down later, the score is 77 to 70 and it's in the fourth quarter. And I remember I was watching this game live. Things were not looking very good for the Heat. Mike Miller drains a three. They are now only down four and the Spurs call a timeout. And that's what just makes it extremely disheartening is that the Spurs are at an advantage. One of the players does not have both of his shoes. And because of how big of a momentum swing this three-pointer was, they had to call a timeout. That just is so impressive. Yeah, and this is, of course, the the infamous Ray Allen game. Yes. Wow. So the Heat were down two to three in the finals, and this was the game where Ray Allen made the buzzer beater to make it a game seven afterwards, and then the Heat ended up winning the finals. So there is an alternate reality world where if Mike Miller does not lose his shoe and then make a three-pointer, the Heat don't win the finals. Oh, it's a huge, that's a huge moment in that game. And just for anybody who's not a, a big basketball fan watching, if you haven't seen Mike Miller play, just picture like a tall Post Malone playing basketball. <laughs> Especially in the Heat era, very scraggly with the yeah. beard and the long hair. But the dude is just automatic from three, whether he's wearing one shoe or both shoes or no shoes. And I remember that for a couple of months, 
in the year 2013 or 2014, whenever this finals was, I made my banner on my Facebook profile, the zoom in of just the uh, the feet on the floor with one shoe on and one shoe off. Well, it's very impressive. And I would argue that hitting a, a shot with one shoe off is harder than with both shoes off. Yeah, it's a so weird imbalance. Yeah. yeah. And his left shoe is off and that is his pivot foot. So it's even harder. And also his feet have to be pretty sweaty. It's the fourth quarter of the game. So the fact that he didn't slip is, uh, it's, I, oh, it's so good. Also, I don't think people recognize how much harder basketball is to play without shoes. Oh gosh. There's a moment, I don't know if you've ever seen this, where Gerald Green in a dunk contest does a between the legs dunk in socks. And that's (laughs) the most impressive thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Like, I don't think people recognize how much more difficult that would be. It's so challenging. So that is the perfect way to cap it off because what did this play result in? It resulted in an NBA championship. So those are the three best opponent shoe throw moments and the three best self slash team shoe throw moments in NBA history. Okay, so... Buckle up, my friend. Okay, I'm ready. Today, on That Actually Happened, the trials and tribulations of Kermit Washington. Oh, I am very excited about this because, one, the man's name is Kermit. Mm -hmm. And two, the only thing I know about Kermit Washington is that he punched Rudy Tomjanovich so badly in the face that it ended his career. Yes. Now... I, to clarify, I Rudy Rudy actually did play after the incident. He he had a few more years. But okay. you are correct that he is most known for horribly injuring Rudy <laughs> Tomjanovich. Also, it is funny, to your point, that a man the size of Kermit Washington was named Kermit. That's just inherently funny. <laughs> so, Kermit Washington, for those of you who don't know, is a former NBA player. Uh, he played 10 seasons with the Lakers, Celtics, San Diego Clippers. hi Back when the name made sense. Exactly. The Blazers and the Warriors. Uh, he averaged 9.2 points, 8.3 rebounds, decent NBA career, albeit somewhat disappointing given that he was drafted fifth overall in the 1973 draft and was highly touted coming out of college. Fun fact, the number one pick in a very disappointing 1973 draft year, your boy, Doug Collins. Doug Collins! Hey, we just learned about him from the last dance. Dougie Fresh. He had fun hair and got fired. He sure did. He had a great fro. (laughs) Real Bob Ross situation. Oh, truly phenomenal. But to your point, Kermit Washington is uh, most known for one incident. He almost killed Rudy Tomjanovich. (laughs) I'm not, I'm truly not overstating that. Rudy Tomjanovich, NBA, former NBA player. Most people uh, know him for being the head coach of the back-to-back champion Houston Rockets in 1994 mm-hmm. and 1995. Shout out to Michael Jordan for retiring. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry about your Knicks. I love, I absolutely love that. We are not missing a beat with hosts of horse defending their favorite team, yours being the Bulls, yeah. at any and any excuse they can. It's a little easier for me to defend the Bulls than most people to defend their teams. Yeah, it's really hard for me to be like, remember 50 years ago when the Knicks <laughs> won a championship? Uh, well, that's why I wanted to breeze through the uh, those 94 and 95 finals. I know that's painful as, uh, uh, as gosh. Knicks fans. Hey, at least we got there, you know? <laughs> you did get there. And isn't that... Something. Isn't that almost what it's all about? (laughs) Isn't that almost worse? (laughs) All right. So this is December 1977, and the Lakers and Rockets are playing a regular season game at the Great Western Forum, former home of the Lakers. Now, a scuffle breaks out at midcourt, and this is where there seems to be some debate and speculation on what actually happened. So as legend has it, two months earlier, on opening night of the season, the Lakers were playing the Bucks. 
and Buck center Kent Benson elbows Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the stomach. Kareem then punches Benson from behind, breaking Benson's jaw and his own hand. Oh my God. This is Kareem, which <sighs> kind of dumb, but also a boss move to break your own hand. Let's be honest. Yeah, but also I think really impressive I'm not a doctor by any means, but I feel like if you punch someone from behind mm-hmm. and then break their jaw, which is in the front of their head, that's yeah. a big punch. That's a big time punch. I feel like if you punch someone in the shoulder, it's like, it broke his knee. <laughs> <laughs> now, a couple days later, Kermit Washington gets into a brawl with some players from the Buffalo Braves. And to answer your question, yes, they thought professional basketball would be sustainable in Buffalo, New York. I love I love when there are rumblings of where should we get teams back. And mm-hmm. it's always get it back in Seattle for sure. Potentially get it back in Vancouver. Some people argue we should have a team in St. Louis, Las Vegas. And then every now and then people will be like, Buffalo used to have a team. It's like, fuck out of here, dude. <laughs> when I picture what Buffalo would have been, I'm just picturing Will Ferrell in semi-pro. Yeah, and just snow everywhere. Oh, yeah. And they actually played outdoors. (laughs) They used rims made of ice. Yeah. So point being, to give you some context for where we're at in the season, the Lakers are not the kind of team that's going to back down from a fight. Mm -hmm. So on this particular night, at the beginning of the second half, Lakers guard Norm Nixon misses a shot. These names are great. I know. They sound like video game names. Kermit, Norm. (laughs) Norm Nixon. Houston's Kevin Cunnert and Kermit Washington both go for the rebound which Carnert eventually gets and passes out to teammate John Lucas, mm. father of my boy, former Chicago Bull bench warmer, John Lucas III, who <laughs> LeBron fully jumped over to catch oh an alley-oop. God. Not an exaggeration. LeBron jumps over a human being. We will definitely put this clip on the website. It's absurd. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So they battle for the rebound, and the battle for the rebound is a little more physical than usual. And Kareem gets involved and starts wrestling with this guy, Carnert. So as a result, Kermit Washington stays behind uh, in the backcourt to make sure nothing happens. Because even back then, you got to defend the star player. You know how it works. Right. And after Kareem and Cunard stop scrapping, Washington grabs Cunard's shorts in order to prevent him from getting back on offense quickly, much like Ron Artest pulling down <laughs> Paul Pierce's shorts. <laughs> now things are getting scrappy. Cunard throws an elbow that hits Washington on the upper arm. Now what happens next, there's some dispute over but Washington and uh, and several other Lakers and rocket forward Robert Reed claim that Cunnert punched him, and Cunnert says Washington swung first. Who knows what actually happened? What we do know for sure is that Kareem runs up behind Cunnert, grabs his arm to try to pull him away from the scuffle, which leaves Cunnert defenseless for Washington's punch. Washington punches him in the in the head so hard that he brings this guy down to a knee. Now, at the same time, Rudy Tomjanovich is running towards the altercation. And allegedly, not knowing that he was going to break up the fight, Washington hits Tomjanovich with a short right-handed punch. I'm going to send you the video. Oh, I've seen the video. I've I am yeah. I know the clip. You know you very know what I'm well. About. I okay. know it very well. It's interesting because the way he does this punch. Of course, we'll put this link on the website. Mm-hmm. It's not as big of a windup as you would think. It's a short like strike. Yeah. Right, but he still gets his footing really solid mm-hmm. and. Kermit almost looks like his body language is like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. He he looks like he's waiting until the last possible moment of like, yeah. I really hope this guy doesn't come. And then Rudy just keeps coming and he runs up there pretty quick. Yeah. And he is just looks like he really doesn't want to. And he's like, I got to punch this guy. And it's just a quick little jab, but it is his feet are set. It is strong. And the follow through is powerful. It's yeah, it's bad. So 
now bear in mind, Kermit Washington is 6'8", 230. Yeah, that'll help. So this is not a, <laughs> this is not a small man. Abdul-Jabbar uh, later compared the sound of the punch to, quote, a melon being dropped onto concrete. Oh. Now, it's also important to note that Tomjanovich had a reputation around the league as a peacemaker. So he wasn't, like, involved in this kind of bullshit. Like, he was supposedly going to break up the fight. I could see how Washington would have misinterpreted what was happening. Yeah, he does run in very aggressively in, in the He comes clip. in hot, for yeah. sure. And it's not, his arms are not up. He's, like, full-on sprinting. Yeah. So, at this point, everything stops. Tomjanovich is on the ground. The stadium is in complete silence. And reporters later say that they heard the sound of the punch all the way in the second floor press box. Like, that's how loud Whoa. this punch was. Tom Janovich is eventually able to get up and walk back to the locker room. So impressive. And on the way back, he asks Washington why he punched him. And Washington yells something about this guy, Cunnert, and tries to go after him again after almost killing him the first time. <laughs> oh, no, Kermit! So, thankfully, uh, <laughs> so Miss Piggy gets in the way. <laughs> thankfully, that's broken up. He later recalled that at the time of the incident, he believed the scoreboard had fallen on him. <laughs> and this might be the most absurd thing in the history of things. The doctor who worked on Tom Janovich said, and I quote, I have seen many people with far less serious injuries not make it, and compared the surgery to scotch taping together a badly shattered eggshell. <laughs> it's only funny because he didn't die. Right, that's the thing. Rudy is fine and went on to win two NBA championships yes. as a coach. So... All of this happens, and in the aftermath of this, Washington is widely condemned. He's fined $10,000 uh, and suspended for 60 days, which comes out to 26 games, and Tom Janovich misses the rest of the season. That doesn't sound like an adequate punishment for almost killing a man. Right. But bear this in mind, okay? Remember how I told you about the incident where Kareem punched a dude out and broke his jaw on opening night? I'm assuming they didn't even call a foul. How, how long of a suspension do you think he got? I'm going to go prices right and say one game, Bob. <laughs> Zero games. Oh, no! <laughs> you could legit punch people with impunity in the 70s. It was a lawless time. It's so wild because even watching Last Dance recently, you see some of the things that the Bad Boys Pistons did, mm -hmm. and they were notorious for beating people up. And you watch the clips and the announcers are like, oh yeah, th this has to be a foul. And then they just call a regular foul when someone like choke slams someone to the ground. So the fact that that was the late 80s mm -hmm. and the fact that the 70s were somehow even worse. Yeah, I'm not surprised it was a zero game suspension. Right. This does actually change the league a bit though. So after this Kermit Washington debacle, the league enacts much uh, stricter policies for on-court fights thanks to the NBA's chief legal counsel at that time. Guess who that was? Is it a real person or is this just a banana's name? No, it's a real person. Uh, chief legal counsel. Who's the guy that did the OJ case? It was not Johnny Cochran. Okay, that was my guess. <laughs> it was not Johnny Cochran. It was David M.F. and Stern, baby. Whoa, David Stern. Rest in peace. Wow. Good for him. So this incident was a big reason that the league added a third referee to its game crew after the season because a third ref would have been trailing the play and would have theoretically called a foul when Washington grabbed Cunard's shorts. Oh, that's possibly really diffusing smart. the situation. And it also allowed for one of my favorite things uh, in basketball, which is extremely tiny men trying to break up fights between literal giants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at you, Jeff Van Gundy. He tried. He tried so hard. He grabbed he those tried. ankles. <laughs> so what does all of this mean for Kermit Washington? Well, he receives no support from the Lakers. Uh, he starts receiving hate mail with death threats and racial epithets, which obviously what he did was wrong, but that's horrible. Yeah, if you couldn't tell by the no support from the Lakers, Kermit Washington was black. So right. if that right. is a surprise... Yeah. 
You didn't know what 1970 was. Exactly. And it, it ends up getting so bad that he was advised to not order room service while on the road for fear of poisoning. Oh, much like Michael Jordan exactly. with the pizza. Even if you're not Kermit Washington, definitely don't order pizza in Salt Lake City. If for no <laughs> other reason, then I'm sure it's terrible pizza. So Washington and his wife are completely ostracized to the point that their obstetrician refuses service to Kermit Washington's eight-month pregnant wife what the, because she's married to him. What the fuck? It's bad. Oh my gosh. Two weeks after the incident, Washington gets traded to the Celtics because apparently Red Auerbach had been a big fan of his. And a depressed and out-of-shape Kermit Washington gets himself back in shape by running up and down 29 flights of stairs in his apartment building. That sounds like me during COVID, <laughs> where I can't go to the gym and my building is 17 floors high, so I just put on a podcast and walk the stairs of my building up and down for 30 minutes. Exactly. It doesn't even have that much to do with this story. I just think that's an amazing workout. That's great, yeah. Oh, hey, what did you do to get in shape? I ran up 29 flights of stairs a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, long story short, Washington basically bounces around the rest of his career, and despite some productive years and an all-star appearance in 1980, he could never really escape the shadow of the Tom Janovich incident. Now, here's one of my favorite random side stories from this whole thing. Kermit Washington ends up being teammates with Kevin Connert, the guy who he got in that fight with initially. Oh, my. Uh, so they're teammates in Boston, and they are both involved in one of, if not the weirdest trades in the history of the NBA. So, Celtics owner... Irv Levin. Irv Levin. Irv Levin, <laughs> your boy. Wanted, he wanted to move closer to his home and business interests in California, but he also wanted to continue to own an NBA team. So to solve this problem, he and the owner of the Buffalo Braves, the aforementioned Buffalo Braves, exchanged both players and franchises. They traded, <laughs> they traded franchises. So, wait, wait, wait. Can the Knicks trade the Knicks? <laughs> Please. Please. Well, I don't care any other team. <laughs> I would not give you a new basketball for the Knicks. <laughs> so, Washington and Cunner were two of four Celtics sent to Buffalo as part of this deal. So, Levin then moves the Buffalo Braves to San Diego, where they become the Clippers, and they stay the San Diego Clippers until 1984 when they become the current Clippers. Wow. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So the current Clippers were at one time the Buffalo Braves. That makes a whole lot more sense. I always wondered how the Buffalo Braves became the San Diego Clippers. And it's because some guy from the East Coast got old and wanted to move to warmer weather. It's exactly. the classic tale as old as time. Well, it's like understanding that like the Utah Jazz used to be the New Orleans Jazz because like, right. I don't know how much you know about Utah, but they're not like known super well for the big jazz community there. Nope, 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 Or nope, pizza. Nope, nope, nope. No jazz, no pizza. <laughs> All right, so end of story, right? Wrong. Oh, there's a twist. M. Night Shyamalan, what exactly. are you doing here? <laughs> I actually knew a lot of this info, uh, obviously in less detail, but I was aware of the Tom Janovich incident and, and the aftermath, and I had looked into it before. And so a few years ago, I'm hanging out with my buddy James, and this somehow comes up, and he's never heard of the incident. So we look up the video of the punch on YouTube, uh, which, as I said, is there and is still extremely disturbing. Mm -hmm. And as often happens on YouTube, it links us to this uh, other thing related to it, and it's a documentary from 2008 called The Kermit Washington Story Redemption. Hmm. So we start watching this thing, and it covers everything I've just told you about. It's Kermit's early career as a highly touted prospect, the Tom Janovich fight, the aftermath, essentially being a pariah the rest of his career, all of it. And then we get into his post-playing days, and they have all these interviews with Washington where he's talking about the fact that the fight still haunts him and how sad he is that it made everybody hate him and pointing out that you know none of us would want to be judged for the worst day of our lives, blah, 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 blah. There's even a scene where he goes back to the site of the fight at the Great Western Forum 
and like reflects on everything. Wow. You're really starting to feel bad for this guy. And it genuinely seems like his mission in life was to change the public perception of him. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, he backs it up. So he creates this charitable organization called the Sixth Man Foundation, uh, which, believe it or not, not named after Jamal Crawford. (laughs) He's doing outreach in Kenya that includes funding a clinic for needy families and HIV-positive children. He's, like, doing the good work. He's in the doc- in the documentary. There's all this footage of him in Africa, like smiling and helping and seeming truly fulfilled. And he dedicates his life to this charity. And the documentary ends with him coming full circle. And it's this like beautiful story of Kermit Washington's redemption. That's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. So my friend James and I look at each other and are like, "Holy shit!" Like we just looked up a brawl on YouTube, and now it's an hour later, and we're both like in tears watching this documentary. <laughs> and it's this really feel good moment. And. Then, in a moment that I still regret to this day, I say out loud, I wonder what he's up to now. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I take out my phone, and I Google Kermit Washington, and the first article that comes up is, former NBA player Kermit Washington sentenced to six years in prison for charity fraud. No! (laughs) Oh, no. I thought you were going to say punching someone in the face, and I was like, oh, we've come full circle for a circle. Charity fraud? It's even worse. So, apparently, Kermit Washington was funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars meant for starving children into personal accounts that he used for vacations, shopping sprees, and even plastic surgery for his girlfriend. Oh, Kermit! No! So, in July of 2018, Kermit Washington is ordered to pay almost a million dollars in restitution and is sentenced to six years in jail where he currently resides. And that is the story of how Kermit Washington almost killing a man at midcourt is only the second shittiest thing he ever did. (laughs) And that, Mike Schubert, actually happened. Oh, what a roller coaster that we have gone on. I thought we were going to end on such a heartfelt... First of all, I didn't expect this to get heartfelt at all. Then it got heartfelt, and then I was crestfallen. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. Kermit. Uh, I've never even heard of someone committing charity fraud before. It's so bad. Like, that is a crime I've never heard someone get put in jail for. Like, at least in regular fraud, sometimes the people you're hurting are also evil people. He's literally taking money from, like, children with HIV. It's horrible. Yeah. Man, real mixed emotions. I'm sorry it doesn't have a happy ending, but it is compelling. Yeah, that's truly phenomenal. Wow, that actually happened. Well, I think the real winner of this story is Rudy Tomjanovich, who somehow survived and then won two NBA championships. That's true. So let's just look on to Rudy for overcoming (laughs) a near-death experience and then making sure he won those two years Michael Jordan didn't play basketball. Although, I don't know if you heard, this just broke yesterday. Rudy Tomjanovich apparently burned down an orphanage. I don't (laughs) know if you... (laughs) Not true. Just to clarify, not true. That did not happen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Mike Schubert and Adam Mamawala. It is edited and mixed by Mike Schubert. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The theme song is by Bettina Campamanas. The art is by Allison Wakeman. And the website is by Kelly Schubert. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Uh, Horse Hoops dropped the scoreboard on somebody. Nailed it. You can also check us out at our website, horsehoops.com. 
for articles and all of the stuff we alluded to in this episode. And if you want to support the podcast and get access to some sweet bonus content along the way, such as turning three on three into five on five or some extra video and audio bonuses, you can head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash horse hoops. And a huge shout out to our producer level patrons, Brianne Wingate, Adam Hartwick, Cody Powell, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Samantha Rose, Polly Burge. I worked with Eric's dad, Shubidubidu. I am Adam Silver. Godzilla got busy. Wouter Vandermaiden, Madeline Heising, Steph Curry for three. Siobhan Ellsbury, Kendra Hadley, He Sells, Seashells, Eileen Gazesh, Catherine Lee, Ogmilk, LeBron James, and Matt Barker. Oh, first take again. Another great read. Can you just give me a, a quick read of uh, Steph Curry for three? I want to try something real quick. Steph Curry for three. Bang! <laughs> That's very good. I love it. Oh, Mike Breen, you deserve better than calling so many New York Knicks games. <laughs> And Adam, as we round out every episode, we're going to put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. Since it's your first episode, I think you should be the one to decide what we say as a, as a team in unison. Ooh. You know, there's a real part of me that wants to make you say go Bulls on this first episode, but I won't do it. I won't do it. You I'll can respect if you. You want? <laughs> no, I'm going to go with the feel good moment of the episode. My more on three. You ready? Oh, it's smart. That's very smart. Okay. One, one two, two, three. My more. Gosh, she's fantastic. She's the best. I hope she plays more basketball because she's so good at it. But also, she's clearly so good at activism, too. Man, to be good at two things. (laughs) (laughs) I'm barely hanging on at like half a thing. (laughs) It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.